I want to talk about something related to social media. So oh, if you're not, geez. if you are not terminally online as John and I are, mm-hmm. then perhaps you should just tune out for the next five minutes or so. You always, yeah, that's what a way to open the show, which you do way I too do. often. You're always <laughs> like, I'm going to open with a topic that probably doesn't relate to half the audience. So just tune out now. Great, awesome. We're really selling. Yeah. It. Sorry, uh, I'll I'll try to twist it around. We have. Typical podcast listeners, I, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. I can only presume people aren't just listening to our show and that's it. They're also listening to uh, who knows what else. Serial, mm-hmm. um, uh, This American Life, blah, blah, blah. Numerous podcasts. So maybe you are aware of this. And it needs to be brought to heel. I want to talk about people's tweets, namely overwhelmingly praising um, mass entertainment in ways in which that attempts to elevate it somehow <laughs> to some of the greatest... Uh, art form ever made, and then them getting dunked on and humiliated and insulted. <laughs> um, it started earlier this year when, in the finale to Game of Thrones, there's a shot in which uh, uh, Daenerys is, is approaching camera, and uh, the dragon's wings flap behind her, as though she has wings. Exactly. Oh, it's, it's yes. riveting stuff. Yeah. A, film, a, a shot so beautiful it should be taught in every film class. That's what somebody said. Now, honestly... Like again, received a massive um, derision from the Twitter community because it it this may shock you people. It was not a shot worthy of being shown in film class. <laughs> now the same thing happened with another tweet, in which case uh, a young woman said like um, the the dance death. Uh, she was referring. She was alluding to. It was very poetic. Yes, it was very poetic. Yeah, uh, very poetic. Also nonsense. <laughs> and then she 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 dotted it as if saying uh, one of the greatest sequences ever committed to film, mm-hmm. uh, which is also patently untrue. However, I don't want to stifle the conversation of people like really earnestly applauding the films of which they've seen last weekend. I don't want them to I don't want to stifle that conversation. However, these two opinions are wrong and they should be and they should be derided. Um, not personally attacked, but again, they're when you have a wrong opinion, I feel that it should be um, uh, contradicted in, in some productive manner. So I wanted to ask you, what is a way in which we can I don't know, elevate the discourse around these sorts of tweets where somebody says, like, oh my gosh, uh, Avengers Endgame is a cinematic achievement. Um, (laughs) There's Raging Bull, nothing, 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 that Avengers Endgame, particularly the sequence where Captain America fights himself. Yes. Um, Well, how do we we point out to this theoretical person that um, we value their enthusiasm, but that they are wrong? They're suffering from recency bias or something like that. Well, Greg, 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 I think... This is one of those classic instances where you're asking the wrong question. And okay. I have a theory. I have a prevailing theory that I want to bring up, a possibility. You've noticed that movie posters and movie advertising for the longest time has had to rely on quotes from esteemed critics. Well, no one gives a shit about esteemed critics anymore. So you might have no. noticed that they've started using Twitter taglines and, and hashtags like actual like, you know, from the people because it, yes. there's never been there's never been more of a time where what critics like and audiences like. There's never been a wider chasm. So they... I would disagree there. For advertising for movies and and posters and and television, they've been starting to use, I've noticed, they they position it like it's a predominant quote from a predominant critic, but instead it's like, you know, then you see the Twitter handle beneath it, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Joker for 2069 tweeted that the Joker is a good movie. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There might be some biases in there. Exactly. (laughs) 
Um, do you think that this uh, overwrought exclamation of the value of these films might be tied to that? Like maybe they're trying really hard to get on the poster or get featured. Like again, they're doing it for the clicks, they're doing it for the likes. Because now social media is its own currency. So if you can get on the poster of, say, the latest you know Blumhouse horror film that they shot two weeks ago, like that's got to be worth something, right? So you're saying like any publicity is good publicity. Mm-hmm. Like my words will appear like, and so the engagement I get from this will be a good thing. However, John, I'm going to say that these two tweets in particular aren't exactly like poll quotes that would go on the poster. No, is the problem. You don't like, think the Dance of Death would have ended up on the on the. <laughs> Joker no, poster? because it, it, because she's she's trying. This young woman was trying for something a little bit more poetic. Mm-hmm. So same with the other guy. Like like on the for your consideration Emmy, like for your consideration <laughs> Emmy campaign billboards. Like it wouldn't say like this shot should be shown in every film class. It wouldn't <laughs> say that. It would instead they would say like oh my gosh like uh, Game of Thrones is a remarkable achievement. Like mm-hmm. you know honor the honor the finale of a, a show that will never be the same in our lifetimes or something mm. um something as as grand but kind of something about the show broader rather than a particular moment and both of these tweets are about particular moments mm. i think we need the only way to stop this is to petition jack dorsey which he clearly <laughs> is on top of everything and has been running twitter so well i think because he's done such a great job we should reach out to him and be like, hey, can you educate these people? Or can you at least censor such dumb tweets? Not for the sake of censorship, but just to save them the embarrassment. I mean, I'm really surprised that when Mark Zuckerberg was in front of Congress, like, no one brought this up. <laughs> what, that he should he, he should censor should have dumb control opinions. over his... Yes, <laughs> he should censor dumb opinions. Well, John, you can you can evidence... get you can get into the weeds about oh this is technically not true blah blah blah. John, this there's a, a lot of yeah, there's a lot of evidence to demonstrate that Mark Zuckerberg probably shares a lot of dumb things. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yes, he probably thinks like wow, like wow, um, that that shot really should be shown in film schools. I'm, I'm going to go to Harvard and donate my money, and for any uh, aspiring <laughs> film neighbors slash fail sons um, who want to get into directing from Harvard. <laughs> That's my Mark Zuckerberg impression. Oh. I, I auditioned for the social network, didn't get it. But <sighs> Jesse Eisenberg got it, so. What a pity. Yeah, I know. He did a fine <laughs> job, but just imagine. I know. <laughs> well, that, w- that was great. Somebody contrasted uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's performance, as written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by David Fincher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, super confident. You've, if you had invented Facebook, you'd invented Facebook. <laughs> and then him in fr- contrast, uh, nine years later in front of Congress, uh, uh, we share a lot of opinions <laughs> and... <laughs> There, there's just so much going on at Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pound around with just the coolest people, like Pete Buttigieg. Yes, it's cool. What a cool dude. <laughs> First stop, Sean Parker. That was just a stepping stone to such luminaries such as Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> yes, but John, this isn't a politics podcast. No, this is about the movies. But it could be cinema. But it could be. <laughs> That's true. I think it's time we pivot, in. Greg. I think it's time we pivot. I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, but if you, we want to be successful, like uh, what's Pod Save America, uh, Red Scare, anything Chocolate on Gimlet, House, yeah. Uh, Gimlet. Gimlet. Does Gimlet do po- political podcasts? I, I thought assume, they just do true crime stories. I assume you're right. Um, I know they were kind of like a spinoff of, they're, they're NPR adjacent, so I always assumed that they were kind of like newsy or at least had some news shows. But I would have to actually tune into any Gimlet podcast to know that, so <laughs> I am not the authority. Okay, well, 
We are not a Gimlet podcast. We don't, we don't have any network or sponsors. No. Um, you're, you're welcome for that. No interruptions. You don't need to hit that 30-second scroll ahead uh, wheelie thing mm-hmm. unless you really don't want to hear about the Twitter discourse. So, <laughs> Yes, this is the Aspiring Snobs podcast. We're an independent podcast, damn it. And we're here talking movies. And it's Halloween uh, this uh, this uh, this comes out on Halloween. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, oh we th- yeah, we kind of messed that up. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> we're coinciding it both with Halloween and the fifth sequel to a film of which we had not seen the original. Yes, we are talking the James Cameron directed 1984 film, The Terminator. You didn't qualify it by genre. Well, uh, Greg, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because can we really define this movie by a genre? I don't think we can. I think, I think audiences have and will. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> just like maybe an audience to, to where put, the yeah to put maybe we something in a speak. box like that. <laughs> yeah, but it also speaks to where the film series has gone because you and I have seen Terminator 2: Judgment Day. Oh, innumerable amount of times. Yeah, and we're kids of the 90s, of course. So we've seen that movie like 10 million times. (laughs) Yes. Always on a basic cable classic. Mm -hmm. But we had never actually seen the original Terminator, and I think there were some mitigating factors to that. Uh, Namely, its it's time period. It took place uh, seven years before uh, Terminator 2, so we weren't 80s kids. We we probably couldn't cast our minds back to the fashions or the special effects or anything like that. Uh, Nor could we probably also uh, shift our thinking into the fact that this could be considered a horror film oh yes when i'm as i was watching it i was i realized very quickly oh this is just a slasher film you know replace uh, mike myers with a robot and that's pretty much this movie yeah i uh, well i think that was the original intention because slasher movies back in the early and mid 1980s did great mm-hmm. but i think it's it's everything else that uh, James Cameron attached to it, like the the time bending plot, the the sci fi future that he also, also envisioned. Mm-hmm. I think that's what audiences really grabbed onto, and that's where the film series has gone from there. It's kind of lost its horror roots, or at least its horror intentions, and kind of veered off into sci fi wacky <laughs> wacky land. <laughs> well, also, I think I think there was a kind of little subtle nod to also kind of the genre bending this film does. At one point, they ended up in a club called Tech Noir. And I yes. remember seeing that sign and thinking, um, this is kind of noir-esque as well. Like, it, the majority of the action happens at night, and the, one of the B-plots is kind of the cops trying to figure out what's going on, and they're kind of in over their heads, like a classic kind of noir story. So yeah. there is a kind of element of that. It is also kind of a cop drama on top of everything else it's throwing into the pot. And uh, I think it blends genres quite nicely. Yes, and um, one of the progenitors, I think, of cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. That's what some people also consider this movie. Um 
But again, we're talking around it, John. What about the, the final product itself? What did you think upon your first viewing of The Terminator? It's funny that we ended up ending Halloween month with this film because we ended up watching The Blob first, which is kind of your classic B-movie drive-in film. And this is pretty much the 80s equivalent of a drive-in movie. I don't know if drive-ins were clearly as prominent as they were in the 1950s, but I pretty much felt the same way watching this movie as I felt watching The Blob, which is this is a fun time at the movies. Uh, it's not particularly deep or challenging, but the craft is on display. The performances are all great. So, yeah, it's just a good time at the movies. <laughs> Certified fresh. I, yeah, I, I'll push back maybe a little bit on the performances, but I think you're right. After it, We kind of start roughly... Like, I didn't like how quickly it was cut, probably because it all takes place outdoors and they barely had enough time or permits to actually film yeah. a lot. And it's once, actually, I think, like, about 15 minutes in that James Cameron kind of finds his footing. Oh, by the way, this is a James Cameron movie. Um, <laughs> you might have heard of this guy. He went on to direct some other things. <laughs> yeah, some other things, uh, to, not here or there. But <laughs> once he finds his footing and the pacing and maybe the actors start interacting then it feels like more of a complete vision. And then I found myself getting drawn in, namely, like every other uh, viewer at the time, like by the sci-fi and the world building that he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you, if you do like slasher movies, I think there's a lot there. If you do like science fiction and the action elements to it, I think, yeah, it's like kind of the best of all worlds here. I do wish, it's, it's not as fun and lighthearted as The Blob, if we are just going to compare this to like, cheesy sci-fi movies from the 50s. That is true, absolutely fair. <laughs> yeah. But there is also, uh, let's address this now, the dated aspect, which mm. you can laugh at. Starting with... Wait a minute. Are you telling me that a <laughs> movie that relies on a cyborg using the phone book to find his <laughs> target might be a little dated? <laughs> no, I was speaking about Linda Hamilton's hair. Oh. <laughs> okay. You're going, okay, you're going like that deep. I was going for like the yeah. analog elements of it. <laughs> Like, yeah. and I, there is some, you know, you're right, it definitely is not as much fun, but it does have some kind of, like, little pointed jokes, for instance, uh, uh, Arnold, uh, he's our titular Terminator, he goes gun shopping, yeah. and he's just rattling off, like, a list like a robot would, and at one point, you know, <laughs> requests a plasma rifle, <laughs> and the guy's like, what you see is what I got. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and that actors the character that he's conversing with is dick miller mm -hmm. like one of the stalwarts of 80s b movies so mm -hmm. you get kind of that you're right like it has this kind of drive-in charm especially if you know like movies and kind of appreciate it on that level too the dwarf gauge autoloader that's italian you can go pump or auto the 45 long slide with laser siding these are brand new we just got them in that's a good gun just touch the trigger, the beam comes on, and you put the red dot where you want the bullet to go. You can't miss. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40-watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. The Uzi 9mm. You know your weapons, buddy. Any one of these is ideal for home defense. So, uh, what shall it be? All. I may close early today. There's a 15-day wait on the handguns, but the rifles you can take right now. You can't do that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of look past the dated elements. Like, I, th I think uh, a movie is strong enough 
like even if they're using cell phones or pay phones or phone books versus like social media and stuff like maybe maybe other other than stuff like trending and going viral maybe that takes me out of it a little bit uh, a little bit because i know not a lot of things do go viral and that's <laughs> that's, that's the whole point <laughs> yeah that that's where i can't suspend my disbelief but like yeah you kind of look past the the fact that yeah the, the terminator is using the technology of the day and has to search for four has to search for one sarah connor in the phone book mm-hmm. and i mean you could have and again like i said i like that element where they kind of use that as a as a kind of element of contrast where you know you have this amazingly complicated advanced robotic being who's just completely unstoppable having to rely on analog technology like a phone book to find his target like they didn't have a specific address they didn't even have a picture he literally has to go to every sarah connor in the la county area and just kill them without with impunity and i guess we can't talk about this movie without talking about the magnanimous presence of one arnold schwarzenegger yes i i don't know i think i think it is all based on the look hmm uh, like I think of James Cameron's, and he explained this in commentary tracks and interviews and extra textual stuff. But he originally visioned this Terminator to be somebody who can slip in and out of a crowd, mm-hmm. and he can't do that when you're a six-five bodybuilder <laughs> with an Austrian. <laughs> with an Austrian <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is kind of one of the big incongruities of the movie. Is uh, Kyle Reese extols like how scary these Terminators are because they look just like humans, but a he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, he sticks out like a sore thumb, and then B, he doesn't integrate into society hardly at all. Besides a few instances where he's able to mimic someone's voice and trick someone, he literally just yeah. walks in and kills people. <laughs> like he yeah. just kind of <laughs> knocks his way, you know, by brute force into any situation. So it's not exactly like he was programmed for subtlety or like stealth. <laughs> no, but I think that's still like properly scary. Mm, the, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably scary, and I think uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger does get a chance to use his charm, mm-hmm. because he is like if you look at Pumping Iron, like he has the, he has that that golden star child presence and somebody who can charm your pants off, and he does do it in like I could see lines as as mundane as like I'll be back or fuck you asshole <laughs> like. <laughs> being delivered by the other actors that were considered like oj simpson Ooh, oh. yeah <laughs> well again the fun the fun trivia fact is they couldn't cast oj he was too nice <laughs> they wouldn't see him as a killer wow anyway glossing over that but he does take it with a bit of relish even though i know he's supposed to be a robot and they had some dispute over like would a robot use a contraction in the, in the sentence i'll be back mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter like it's still that moment still works it's like for the first time like oh i actually appreciate it it's annoying when they keep calling it back and it's like uh, like an applause line for each of the sequels oh, but like there's saying, so like, hey, many lines the yeah there's so many dumb lines like come with me if you want to live uh, yeah. What's the other one? Get out. They need to say that in every single movie, like a moment like that. It's just, it's so ridiculous what they've decided to do. And I really, it. looking back on it, I wish T2 wasn't as good as a movie as it is because now they feel like they need to keep like milking it dry. And yeah. if that movie was kind of like less uh, kind of memorable as it was, maybe they wouldn't feel the need to kind of pump out these generic, terrible sequels that make sure they have to include I'll be back, uh, get out, come with me if you want to live, like all these kind of mo- like lines that have become memetic, which it's interesting to think if it were just this movie in and of itself, would they be memetic? Or is it because of the uh, presence of T2 that now it's all of a sudden... Probably- 
Yeah, it's probably T2 being more accessible as an action movie and not really a horror movie. And seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger, our beloved star, Mm -hmm. as the good guy rather than the antagonist in this movie. Yeah. This is what kind of made him a star with the catchphrases. And I know know he was in the Conan, Conan movies prior to this, but this is what really kind of rocketed him to stardom. And so... Yeah, I could see like how he he it's him that really makes the movies and why they keep dragging him back <laughs> into it and it's not the not technically the story itself. No, absolutely. Cuz the story's pretty yeah. thin. For those who don't know, Kyle Reese travels back in time to born Sarah yeah. Connor, uh, Sarah Connor and protect her from being killed by this terminator. The reason why she's so important is because she'll eventually give birth to the leader of the resistance, John Connor. And while they're there, they, uh, you know, start uh, canoodling. They start falling in love. And wouldn't you know it, he's the one who actually impregnates her with John Connor. So, Yeah, so good, I guess, self-fulfilling or uh, I don't know what the exact term for it, a self-actualizing story. Well, I mean, it's good because it uses the time travel element besides just like a plot starter. Like it kind of like wraps everything up in a nice little bow and kind of keeps everything cyclical. So you're not like, I mean, obviously all time travel movies fall apart the minute you start thinking about it. Wait, why are they going after Sarah Connor and not John? Yeah, why are they in this time rather than, yeah. Why not keep trying? Why not go to her great grandfather and kill him? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stupid shit like that. Exactly. And there is a scene with Kyle Reese in the box in a police station. And by the way, like, all credit to James Cameron for knowing how to do rising and falling action Mm -hmm. because it does feel like okay now we're safe in this police station and Kyle Reese does have good exposition in terms of like and it works great dramatically because the police keep can uh, ask questions and move the audience basically saying like why why send it back to this period Mm -hmm. and and says like they only did it once and they destroyed the machine and we we did our best to get back at them or something like that Mm -hmm. so also explaining, like, well, how do you get back? I don't get back. That's the whole point, you know, kind of filling yeah. in those those little niggling questions that the audience might have. Show me a piece of future <laughs> technology. You go naked. Something about the field generated by a living organism. Nothing dead will go. I didn't build a fucking thing. Okay, okay. But this cyborg, if it's metal... Surrounded by living tissue. Oh, right. This is great stuff. I could make a career out of this guy. You see how clever this part is? How it doesn't require a shred of proof? And most paranoid delusions are intricate, but this is brilliant. Why were the other two women killed? Most of the records were lost in the war. Skynet knew almost nothing about Connor's mother. Her full name, where she lived, they just knew the city. That Terminator was just being systematic. Uh-huh. Well, let's go back to one other Look, thing. Look, you have heard enough! I have answered your question. Now I have to see Sarah Connor. I'm afraid that's not up to me. Why am I talking to you? Because I Who is an authority here? Shut up! You still don't get it, do you? He'll find her. That's what he does. That's all he does. You can't stop him. He'll wait for you, reach down her throat, and pull her fucking heart out. Doc. Let, let go of me. I wanted to get to this earlier. While I did like Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie, I think the one demerit to the movie is the performances of Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton. What? That, maybe because, I don't know, they, they're ridiculous. First of all, <laughs> there's Linda Hamilton's hair, which, again, I couldn't get past. I can't believe in a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you think the co-stars are the ridiculous ones. <laughs> yes. Do you want to know why? Because at least Arnold Schwarzenegger got to play a robot and got to play it straight. These two are the hammiest, like... <laughs> It's true. 
Linda Hamilton for like the first third is basically playing the lead in a romantic comedy. It's like she just can't get her life together. Oh, she's spilling yeah. eggs. <laughs> There's the scene in which she's she's a struggling waitress, and then to show her how how badly life is treating her, a kid, some brat kid, shoves a, a scoop of ice cream in her in her pocket, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, the way she like rolls her eyes, <laughs> that's how. It, again, that's what you need the joke musical sting. <laughs> You could lay the same uh, issues at Michael Bean's feet because of the way that he hobbles through like the final scenes, like the way he squinted, like ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's a, okay, it's a little hammy, but y- yeah, you're just supposed to feel the stakes, Greg. He's wounded, mortally I... wounded. I know, but I also want to believe them as real human beings. So. <laughs> I'll lay that at the feet of James Cameron, who probably is not really known for working with actors all that much. So. <laughs> Believe it or not, James Cameron is not an actor's director. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's not really a people's director. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's not a people person, as it were. That's his reputation, anyway. I don't know the man personally. <laughs> no, but obviously, James Cameron, it's got to be said, he's extremely talented at directing action films. Uh, I don't really know if he's much... Obviously, no one's going to James Cameron. It's like, we want to tell a really human story here. Yes. We, we have an important message movie. We really want to. We, like... want, you, we want you to rela- remake this Ken Loach film. <laughs> I, Daniel Blake. It's about a guy struggling with the National Health Service. Yes. <laughs> He's slipping through the cracks. We have. I have this pitch. It's about Alita. She's a battle angel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's more like the James Cameron films we expect. Exactly. So, in terms of the action itself, again, tremendous job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what audiences really gravitated to versus the uh versus the horror elements because yeah it's a it's a horrific scene to start in which uh, the terminator rips out a guy's heart <laughs> <laughs> and again but i think like it didn't really have that much of an impact because it's cut so quickly and you might not even know that he like grabbed his heart right out of his chest or something like that mm-hmm. but it's it's more the rising and falling action it's like um they get taken in uh linda hamilton and Kyle Reese get taken in by the police, mm-hmm. and it seems like, and the and the Terminator's hobbled, and it seems like they're okay. But then the music starts to swell up a little bit when the Terminator heals himself and disguises himself, and you know, that that works perfectly. And of course, when there's one explosion, it looks like the Terminator's done. Like, oh, oh, Kyle, look, mm-hmm. we did it. Yep. And then he rises out of the ashes, like <laughs> as a complete robotic exoskeleton. Which we also should mention the great work by the late Stan Winston. Yes, there are some things that don't survive the HD era, but I think you look past them because you, you are emotionally invested in them. Like for for 19, early 1980s, the puppet in terms of like casting a, a, a brand new head of Arnold Schwarzenegger so that you could do that eye effect. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's not the not the most um, con- like convincing effect in the world, but still like. The, the fact that they pull it off to the extent that they do is really incredible. Um, the amount of rear screen projection that they do, that works. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that wasn't Stan Winston's department, but the... Well, just like, the um, amount of detail when the Terminator gets to be a full Terminator. He gets his whole skin. Like, it's a great kind of buildup because the, throughout the whole movie, he's been getting damaged and, like, his robotic exoskeleton is starting to peek through little bits. And then mm-hmm. towards the end, we finally get to see it. They, they've teased you enough. The whole robotic exoskeleton is there. And it's so detailed. And it's just, it's such a beautiful puppet. And they even use it yeah. for, like, stop motion as well. And it's just, they do a great job. Yeah, the, the the puppetry I think more convincing than the stop motion animation. But then again, I don't really like stop motion mm-hmm. integrated with live action all that much. So 
but you're right. The incredible detail. I love the little ankle bone that. The <laughs> <laughs> it's little details like that that capture your imagination, and not just Stan Winston's effects, but also a lot of the production design, particularly with the future, mm-hmm. like the, like that direct imagery of a like tank tread uh, trembling over human skulls. Mm-hmm. Like that tells you like what kind of like villain we're up against. Not just the Terminator's unstoppable and that in the present, but also like how unstoppable the machines seem to be in the future. Mm-hmm. And then once we see Cal Reese kind of again speaking of world, but I don't like world building unless it's actually built into a story. But it does do this in this particular scene where he's come home from combat. It's like humans living in this tunnel. Like underneath and slop, they're all yeah you know, derelict and poor and in rags. Yeah, one kid is watching a a hollowed out TV. She's just watching a, a little flame, kind of spurt up underneath. Like that's that's all great, and um, it does it it does build to this climax where a Terminator does infiltrate into this human base, looking like a regular human person. So. Yeah, and I'm going to say human again. Um, <laughs> human. Again. <laughs> yes. I'm so convinced by these humans. Yes. I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. I was told that she's here. Could I see her, please? No, can't see her. She's making a statement. Where is she? Look, it may take a while. I want to wait. There's a bench over there. I'll be back. But again, like all great, and there's a lot that really captures your imagination, and had audiences like me going like, "Well, where does the story go next?" And it seems to be just telling the same story over and over again of a Terminator going back in time to kill uh, either the savior of humanity or the mother of the savior of humanity, <laughs> or even when they don't decide to do that, they still center it around that element of the story. Uh... I think the only one I think that doesn't involve uh, time travel is uh, Terminator Salvation. Remember that one, where Christian Bale got mad at somebody for being in the wrong yeah. place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about sabotaging your movie before it even came out. <laughs> Not like Christian Bale did that, but <laughs> released the, released audio of him uh, yelling at somebody like a psychopath. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, so are you looking forward to Terminator Dark Fate? Not really. <laughs> I know, I know they keep uh, pimping that it's the, from the director of Deadpool, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not as fun as Deadpool, so... <laughs> well, you <laughs> know, they, they dragged uh, poor uh, Lyndall Hamilton back, and uh, I guess uh, uh, James Cameron is a producer on this one, so ugh, I don't know, maybe... Well he, was, yeah, well, he was also trying to sell the last movie, Terminator Genesis. <laughs> 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 I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How'd that work out for them? <laughs> I, it's not great, it turns out. No. Um, because they completely went over to the sci-fi plot, basically. And you had to wrap your jump through hoops just to even understand like what the hell is going on. And again, we want to flash forward to Linda Hamilton being a tough chick. Mm, nice. So it's, yeah, it's just kind of... The series just has to acknowledge like what it's good about the original movie. And then they keep introducing new ideas that don't work. Like, 
I think also the the big twist in Terminator Salvation is that oh they're using they're turning humans into machines or the machines think they're human or something. Yeah, like, oh, that's right. And yeah. it seems to be the same case with Terminator Dark Fate. And I'm like boring, it's not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these things. It's just like kind of it's funny. Like we talked about Halloween last year. And this movie yeah. shares a lot of the same DNA as Halloween. And part of the reason why this movie and Halloween work and why it's so weird that they spun out so many sequels and spinoffs since because the simplicity is what drew people in. And because of the simplicity of the story, you can kind of wallow in the excess of the filmmaking. And that's what made these movies hits. That's what made these movies work. And then, you know, then they have to make, like, a complicated mythology or just kind of, like, warp their heads to be like, oh, and there's time travel. And it was actually possessed by the Celtic magic. Like, it's so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I think there's only so far... There, there's what the market demands, and that's more of the same. Mm-hmm. But the, there's this other half of, the, of that, I guess, the supply is going... Like, the supply is limited, though. <laughs> the amount of creative inspiration that you can kind of wring out of these stories. No, like, yeah, and I understand until Until they have, like, the Terminator going to John Connor saying, like, I no, I am your father. Like, until they have that <laughs> sort of twist, add that sort of twist to the story. Well, they already did gonna... that. They In the last one, John Connor was the bad guy, right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess, that, yeah, that, that added to the story. Like, what if John Connor was the Terminator, huh? <laughs> huh? Have we got something here? Yeah. And he's got an app this time. It's an app. Yeah. <laughs> Look out for that app. Yeah. It's a killer app. Get it? <laughs> I don't know why they didn't make it about climate change instead. No. Because there, there's no nod to the, the machines using nuclear weapons, I believe that's only used in Terminator 2, but the Cold War was over, so that's yeah. that wasn't as big an existential threat. But, like, the, the one currently facing humanity is climate change, so if there's a way that the machines could accelerate that, mm. like um, causing the sparks that cause wildfires that <laughs> kill trees and just <laughs> deplete... Oh wait! I nope. I've got it. I've got it. I broke it wide open. PNG is secretly run by Skynet. Yes, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yes, um, that's got to be it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, we're they're, turning they're... out the power to protect you from the fires. <laughs> Enter kill yeah. squads. Enter kill squads. Yep. I mean, these people are essentially machines anyway. That is true. <laughs> it's not like they value human life. <laughs> well, I guess that's why Terminator Genesis tried to make it about Silicon Valley. It's like these people are literally trying to automate every portion of our lives. Yeah. So I think that's a, a part of the existential threat of the Terminator, because I do like in the climax that the term, they, they do wind up in a factory, mm-hmm. and there are little cutaways to machines like working. <laughs> And there seems to be some psychic connection between them, and it's kind of maybe played for laughs, but that's kind of the grander statement that it's making because automation really hit in the 70s and 80s. Also, factories moving offshore, and that's kind of the, I think, the the fear that James Cameron was trying to address. Absolutely. And it was also nice because I think this is the only one where the factory that they do end up in has any kind of thematic residence instead of ending up in a smoke and steam factory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yep. <laughs> oh, wow, we ended up in a Sparks factory. Look out. Yeah. <laughs> you did get to see that awesome liquid nitrogen. Um, that is true. Theme. Yeah. Speaking of rising and falling action, it's like the Terminator find film, Terminator 2 does it the same, but even better. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the key difference. They just gave us the same, yeah. but better. Like, And it's so rare, and I think that's why that movie is lauded as such a classic. Mm-hmm. It built off it and did it better. Yeah. 
Just like I, Return well, of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> Or Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We say it as if it's easy. I think that's that's yeah. the challenge. <laughs> like, you really have to hit your bullseye to say, like, oh, it's the same, but better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what does better mean? Like, it's not just, and it's not just the special effects, but also, like, the the, the Terminator is now with, like, a surrogate father, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, that, and that's the beauty of the opening act of, of Terminator, like literally the opening scene, Arnold returns and you think he's the bad guy, but then it flips it on its head. He's actually the good guy. So it's kind of, it's, it's funny. So much of that film only works if you know what's going on in the original Terminator. So how do we really judge it based on a a work of wholly by itself? Yeah. And the Terminator is playing the same thing here. I I assume because the music's the same, the, the tone and the mise-en-scene is all the same when uh, the Terminator travels back in time and kills his first victim I was, and Kyle Reese is running away so see I was going to agree with you there until you remember that we do get flash forwards of the future when Kyle oh, Reese is right. on screen yeah. so we're very it's very clear that he is a human and he is fighting for the resistance so <laughs> okay but is, yeah I, is Michael Bean on screen for that opening uh, battle I don't know but the way that the way the editing works is it's meant to obviously be invocative of a flash forward or like you know he's having like PTSD trauma or something Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I just said PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the ATM machine, you know. <laughs> the Something ATM machines are taking over. Skynet's exactly. controlling them. <laughs> I can't get my money out of the ATM machine. The, the, the machines are saying, this money's mine now. <laughs> and I'm ruined. <laughs> We're not in control anymore. We've given too much control <laughs> to the machines. <laughs> yes. Well, Greg, I think we've scaremongered the audience enough. Let's let's end on a happy note, shall we? Absolutely. That happy note being, <laughs> uh, it's a seamless transition. So that's what seamless, people come exactly. for week to week. That's what people tune in for. <laughs> like merging onto a super highway. Yeah. <laughs> Life is yeah. a highway. Highway. I want to drive it. No, we're not here to uh, recommend Met Rascal Flats and their brilliant cover of Life is a Highway. No, we're here to recommend something uh, either thematically tied or something that we watched recently in our signature section, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I called it a section. It's really like more of a segment, I guess. Yeah, people love segments. Yeah, like your yeah a piece. Yeah, your your podcast needs segments if it's ever going to go viral, which God willing, any day now we're just gonna yeah. we're just gonna break <laughs> through, and we'll I be know. at the top of the charts, baby. I know. I I can't wait for the AV Club does a podcast recap segment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm just coveting, that seems to be the only way I know of that you can promote a podcast <laughs> other than people actually sharing it, which I know won't happen. No, but absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just waiting for that precious, precious sentence when we're highlighted in the uh, AV Club's podcast uh, section. It's called Podmass, by the way. That, you keep calling it a section. Sorry. It's called Podmass. I, whatever it's called. I, I don't know. I can't keep track of these tags anymore. But... <laughs> That opening, that topic sentence of their uh, highlight of us saying, I can't believe we, we've missed them for 160 or so episodes. No. But <laughs> One day, Greg, one day. <laughs> I know, one day, we'll get there. Anyway, John, you, 
Go ahead, spotlight. Okay. What do you have to? What do you have to tell? Recommend something to the people. Um. So this is one of these kind of thematic connections. This is a movie I saw a few years ago, but uh, I want to take the opportunity to spotlight it now because it shares a lot of the same DNA with two movies we've already talked about t- today: The Terminator and Halloween. And it's a little movie called The Guest. Ah, you've you've extolled the virtues of this movie to to me off air, mm. but now that we're recording, go ahead, share. <laughs> Share it with the hoi polloi. <laughs> um, it's a movie directed by Adam Wingard. Uh, he is, he's, he's, I don't really know how to describe his career. He seems like he's one of those like indie darlings who was just swallowed up by the machine because uh, he did this movie and then he also did uh, another movie called Your Next, I believe. Yeah, which is like a another genre straddling, like it's towing the line between horror and thriller and... It has some has some like cheeky elements to it as well, so it's it's a bit lighter. Exactly, and he he clearly knows his genres, which is why I think he keeps he keeps getting hired by Hollywood to uh, direct garbage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> After yeah. your next and the guest, which were kind of like independent darlings, he went on to do a few segments for like VHS, which was this like horror anthology thing, and then he's done. Yep. Uh, uh, Blair Witch, a Blair Witch reboot, and he did the live-action yeah. Death Note movie. Which I know nobody liked. Yeah, yeah. and now he's going to be doing Godzilla vs. Kong, so... Yeah. Ooh, boy. He got gobbled up by the machine, you're right. <laughs> yep, he got gobbled up by the machine. Just yeah. like all Marvel directors. <laughs> yeah, he's just like um, Sam Worthington's character in of Terminator Salvation. He's a machine, but he says, no, I'm a real filmmaker. Watch. <laughs> Just like that guy directing uh, Kong Skull Island. Like, no, it's a real movie about Vietnam. Th- screw off, dude. You just went to Vietnam. You're like, oh, man, I experienced the culture. <laughs> you made a crap movie. Well, I'm glad you brought up Vietnam because the guests share some of that uh, DNA with the uh, uh, post-war ennui. Uh, really? Basically, the genres he's decided to merge are... And it's a very specific genre he's going after. When the guest opens, you think it's one of these kind of post-Iraq, like a soldier coming home kind of story. Uh, it takes place in the heartland, yeah. and uh, this family is grieving the death of their son, who recently died in Iraq. And one day, they're surprised by a guest, played by just the magnanimous Dan Stevens. Ooh, be still my heart. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I don't, you could speak to this better than I can. I... I think he's ugly. What? I don't think he looks very good. How yeah. dare you? See, the problem is you just haven't watched enough Downton Abbey. You need to see him in a, in a proper tux, okay? All right, fine. With, su- surrounded by silverware. Only the proper t- settings. But, uh, yeah, Dan Steven uh, comes home, uh, comes to their house and says, Hey, I uh, was in Iraq with your son, and uh, I've kind of fallen on hard times. Do you mind if I spend a few nights here? He's He's very much like a vagabond, but he's also very charming, and he's very sweet, and... Obviously, the family is grieving their son, and this is a, a way for them to connect with their son again. And at first, uh, his name is David, or at least <laughs> one of the fun little elements of this movie. He's actually, in quotes, David. That's his credited title in the ah, movie. Ah, <laughs> nice. Um, at first, he just kind of like help, helps around the house and kind of ingratiates himself with the family. But as the movie goes on, there's clearly more going on. And uh, I do want to say that like the movie is very clever, the way it kind of lens genres like that but it's actually pretty obvious thinking like looking back on it you know there's a there's a scene uh, early in the movie where he kind of like everyone's going to bed and it's like do you need anything else he's like no thank you good night 
and he just sits on his bed stone still as someone's leaning on the synthesizer like <laughs> like <laughs> like clearly not everything is all right with david and yeah. you know the first half of the movie is him ingratiating himself with the family and helping everybody out and everyone loves david but as the movie progresses you start to learn that there you know everything's not all right with david <laughs> like for example uh you know he helps around the house and tries to be like a supportive member of the family and so one of their teen sons is getting like bullied at school and you know he decides to like to help him out and give him like good advice it's like make sure you stand up for your bullies here's my best advice next time you see that kid stab him in the neck here take this knife (laughs) (laughs) yeah and as the movie kind of progresses it twists and turns like it's revealed David basically evolves into a Mike Myers slash Terminator. And okay. there's there's kind of hints. It's left all very vague and it's all very like well done, but it's implied that he was like part of some kind of experiment in the army. And so he can kind of take a beating or take a lot more punishment than a normal human could. And so, but that's just a result for them to, or that's just an excuse for them to indulge in, you know, the kind of horror movie cliches where it's just like, he just won't stop. Nothing can stop him. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's just, it's a lot of fun how it kind of blends those two genres, and it's just very well done. And obviously, it's meant to be very indicative of Halloween and the Terminator. You just have this kind of run-of-the-mill, simple American life just kind of ruined by this, by this, uh, this, I don't want to say faceless, but again, we can't really truly know him. I guess that's kind of the other element that makes it fascinating. It's, it's kind of a slasher, but we welcome the slasher in. He was a nice guy at first. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) He's got a face and a name, supposedly. So Mm. yeah, it's just a really fascinating movie. I wish I could speak more uh, kind of specific about it, but it's been a few years since I've seen it, but I remember enjoying it quite a bit. So go check it out. Okay. I, I think I will, especially on your recommendation that it starts out as one of these very earnest uh, soldier coming home dramas, mm-hmm. uh, which, of which their theaters were I don't, I don't, not too long ago, like just uh, kind of stuffed with um, really earnest, <laughs> earnest dramas about like soldiers coming home and they can't deal with the violence. And they're all the same. And they're all cookie cutter. They're all about guys like in, living in Texas. It's always Texas. And so, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was reading an interview and I think his, his main point of reference he mentioned was like, remember that movie in the Valley of Elijah or whatever? In the Valley of Ella, John. Oh, I have valley. seen this one. Yeah, yes. the Valley of Ella. Like, that was his point of reference. Is like, I want to make that, but turn it into a slasher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's really what he set out to do, and I think he did it with a plum. Nice. Um, yeah, I do wish, maybe and maybe I'm too inured to it, because I'm too, now I'm too savvy of a movie viewer mm-hmm. and way too cynical, but yeah, maybe I can also kind of see these twists coming, because... I don't know, maybe just shut your ears off for five seconds, but there's also some intrigue in that he's like a, a born super soldier too, right? Is that... Well, yeah, it's implied that he had, he's he's undergone some experimentation or that something happened in the army. It's all left very deliberately vague, but yes, he's, mm-hmm. he's he, something has happened to him while he was away at war, whether that was at the fault of combat or whether it was at the hands of his own government. Again, it's left very vague. Okay. I think, again, in that same interview, we talked about how they were going to include some scenes that kind of made it more kind of illicit text, but he was like, nah, let's just leave it out. Let's just leave it up for the audience to decide what the hell right. happened to him. So, Okay, yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll have to get by my Dan Stevens phobia. If Greg saw him, he would think he was so beastly. You're right, John. You're, you're alluding to the fact that he was in 
Disney's The Lion King. One of the beasts of Africa, right? <laughs> Good job, Greg. Yeah. All right, enough about my prattling, Greg. What do you have for Spotlight? Well, I'm glad you connected it, because most of the time, for, for new listeners, God, if you made it this far, God bless you. <laughs> but usually this is how uh, Spotlight breaks down. One of us will make a thematic connection to the movie we watched. The other one will just recommend something that we watched that week, and that's what I want to do here. I got a chance to watch the latest Netflix release, the new biopic of the one Rudy Ray Moore called Dolomite Is My Name, Mm. starring Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Bitch, are you for real? (laughs) Yes, John, put your weight on it. (laughs) Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, that aren't uh, damaged adults like John and I... (laughs) Rudy Ray Moore was a cult figure in the 70s for doing these absolutely ridiculous uh, black exploitation movies. He started with the character Dolomite. Um, I think he had a moderately successful comedy record in this like kind of character who had these rhymes and is now, at least at the mo- as the movie posits him, is like the godfather of rap because he he took these like ridiculous rhymes like uh, Dolomite is my name and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. <laughs> Not exactly great meter there, but okay, keep trying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the other thing. Quality is not it's not a prerequisite here. <laughs> These are not masterpieces by any stretch of the imagination. He started with some Dolomite movies, did uh, the one movie I saw, which was on Netflix, which I think is what was really the, the draw. Their algorithm spit out this, which is what uh, drew them to actually financing this movie. It was called Disco Godfather. Mm. And he was like, this disco's hot, and it's going to stay hot forever. I'm going to do a disco movie. (laughs) (laughs) And they also did some other characters like Petey Wheatstraw, (laughs) where he becomes the son-in-law of the devil. (laughs) And yeah, just became a a cult figure of the 70s for these really cheesy blaxploitation movies. Um, Again, doing... Being a filmmaker, the ways in which like no other filmmaker could, like feeding their ego, um, doing movies where they're absolute sex machines and action stars and, <laughs> and comedians. <laughs> like a, a, an equivalent would be uh, Tommy Wiseau or Neil Breen, mm-hmm. essentially. Yep. Except better than them, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's not a high bar to cross. <laughs> no. <laughs> so this is a, a very respectful biopic of Rudy Murray Moore. And it casts Eddie Murphy in kind of like this. Yes, it's an it's an Oscar Beatty role, but he and no, he doesn't look anything like him. But he he does his best being Rudy Ray Moore, and that's basically charming his ass off. Like he, like Eddie Murphy still has it in terms of like drawing you in with like this really affable presence. And it's it's improved by the fact that he is surrounded by a coterie of like excellent actors like Craig Robinson, Keenan Michael Key. Playing, playing characters that contrast him of like Keenan Michael Keyes is very earnest um, uh, playwright who Rudy uh, ropes into writing the Dolomite movie. <laughs> wow. He's basically the one who introduced um, who introduced the, um, the the language of the streets like, you know, like PCP is tearing up our streets. We have to we have to address this while you're doing kung fu moves Dolomite. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Poetry. It just leaps off yeah, the page. So exactly. So that's that's um, that's a great relationship there. My other favorite is um, is the character that he recruits. I say character. I don't know. I don't know how how true to life this is. But he ropes in the actor who played. Do you remember the actor who played the elevator operator in Rosemary's Baby? 
Vaguely, that's yeah. He, I, I do remember him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, he was the only uh, actor of color in that entire movie. Yes, I think that's why he stood out like <laughs> yeah. a sore thumb. Yes. <laughs> but he's he's like a he's like a megastar in the in the uh, world of black actors because of his performance in Rosemary's Baby, and um, he's he he. He really lauds himself and, and doesn't deign to actually like perform in in this cheesy Dolomite movie that uh, Rudy Mae Moore is financing himself until he gives him the chance to direct and and now he's like uh, and now he's kind of like coasting through it yeah. and really condescending towards the production but the but the presence that Wesley Snipes has like as as this director is great okay um, so every everybody's having a good time the the problem is is that this is I think like too respectful of portrait um mm. if you've seen ed wood um which is written by the same uh writing pair as this movie like you know it's that they're they're clearly writing a movie mm. is the problem and so it's like it 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 is like you're watching like the dewey cox story like the story has to hit all those beats and and like the opening scene it's it, it's um rudy ray moore trying to get his track on with a dj played by snoop dogg and at one point snoop dogg literally says to him like sorry rudy sometimes your dreams just don't come true and then for the remaining two hours of course rudy ray moore is going to prove him wrong and say hey dreams do come true <laughs> like you know it, it is that it is that kind of affirmative and cheesy when i don't know rudy ray moore was i think so much more of a, a complex guy mm-hmm. and i think would have benefited him uh, would have benefited from a more complex portrait. Um, same with the filmmaking. I will say this for like um, Ed Wood. Like at least it has a vision in terms of looking like an old cheesy fifties movie. Yeah, it's meant to be Ed... evocative of a Ed Wood movie in and of itself. Where yeah, one of the disappointing things you're expressing is that when they came out with the trailer, it seemed like this was going to be like a black exploitation version of a biopic, and it sounds like it's not that. No, it's not. I mean, it's directed by Craig Brewer, who I think is just a a, a workman mm. is that he doesn't really have like his own style like i know he did hustle and flow and the footloose remake like and he he, he they remade footloose what yes <laughs> <laughs> when did this happen <laughs> i don't know it just it stumbled down to theaters in like 2011 in the fall nobody cared okay. they were watching football at the time no, yeah <laughs> but it, it doesn't really have a style it's mostly like you know wide shots like in color and focus like yeah fine or whatever but <laughs> It it only really comes to life when like the mise en scène changes and and in the final half of the movie when they are filming Dolomite like the the scene kind of changes and it's like the it's like the the whole production is dropped away and it is like we're watching Dolomite and so like that's that's when it's interesting it's also when it's also a fascinating sequence when uh, Rudy Ray Moore buys this hotel in which he shoots his original Dolomite movie. And would shoot some of his other like uh, kind of independent films, um, and they finally get like the the power up, and it all lights up, and it's like it suddenly gleams and and, <laughs> and instantly like cleans itself, and it seems like oh like the the magic of movies is taking over. But the rest of the time is just kind of like rather state drama, like as I said, like Rudy Ray Moore basically saying like come on, I got to put my record out, and people telling him no, Rudy Ray Moore, it won't happen, <laughs> like <laughs> that kind of that obvious plane, so. Or, like, they're on the way to the premiere, but they see the critics, like, oh, the critics don't like our movie. Like, how will it be well-received? And then, oh, we, we arrive at the theater, and there are lines around the block, yeah. so... It sounds very much like the uh, uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody treatment. Yeah, so I, I do wish it was... I, I do wish it wasn't as, as soft, because Rudy Ray Moore was hard. Mm-hmm. He... <laughs> 
<laughs> he was a badass motherfucker. <laughs> he was a badass motherfucker who, again, is so inimitable. Nobody, I don't think anybody could could bring him across. <laughs> like, I think what he really deserves is maybe like the extremely raw and powerful uh, documentary feature, like "Won't You Be My Neighbor" or mm-hmm. um, what's another one, "Searching for Sugar Man," like something like that. <laughs> Versus, like, kind of the clean, sanitized, like, Hollywood biopic. So, I mean, it's still good overall. I was kind of, like, happy I watched it. But it, it the movie doesn't draw out to you enough the way that, you know, bitch, are you for real? Will, like, get you to perk up. <laughs> <laughs> the way that uh, Rudy Ray Moore will look at the the, the devil's uh, daughter and go, oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, she an ugly cat. <laughs> like, you know, like, that's what it needed. Yes. <laughs> And he's that juice. Yes, it didn't have it didn't have the Rudy Ray Moore juice. Mm. Um, if anything, I hope this does bring more exposure to Rudy Ray Moore, who was like literally one of a kind. <laughs> there will never be anybody like him ever again. So no, maybe one day. But yeah, I mean, if you've got two hours to kill, I guess there's worse ways. And you haven't finished BoJack Horseman yet. Or well, I haven't finished BoJack Horseman yet. That's why I haven't touched it yet. I know. Oh, there's so well, much on my queue. Ugh, Netflix. When can I finally unsubscribe from you? <laughs> I guess when Disney Plus comes out. Yeah. Or we could just spend our time in more productive ways, like, uh, I don't know, going outside, pay- playing our, uh, paying, <laughs> paying our bills, uh, mm-hmm. talking with friends. Nope. I'd say we go to social media. Why don't you go to Twitter and Facebook, like our pages, follow us on Instagram, give us Insta-likes. Yes, yeah, smash that like button. Like and subscribe. Give us a follow, click on the bell. Engage. <laughs> Engage. Just like that great Star Trek series, um, D Space Nine, yeah. where he says engage all the time, right? Wow. Is that right? Wow, you're so good, Greg. Yeah. I'm sorry, I won't do that anymore. I promise, if <laughs> you go to your podcast platform of choice, whether you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Player FM, what have you. Spotify. Spotify's a big Spotify. one. Spotify. Yeah, that's another big one. We're on there, too. Go ahead, click a follow or a like or whatever they have on there. They, they, we're everywhere, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, once you're done with all that, and if you have some questions or comments or recommendations, you can always reach out to us directly at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. We love recommendations. They're our favorites. Yes, we do take recommendations. We do also take listener questions. I do want to know what other like kind of hot takes people have, whether they view Dolomite is My Name as one of the greatest cinematic <laughs> achievements of all time. <laughs> I mean, and then we'll take the, the scene um, when... Rudy Ray Moore punches a guy, a uh, Wesley Snipes character, in the gut and pulls out his intestines. <laughs> <laughs> Whether people regard that as a, as a cinematic achievement. <laughs> the dance of death, Greg. Yes. <laughs> the, glo- the joyous bells. Or <laughs> yes. <laughs> Give her credit. As of this recording, she has not deleted it yet. Which cannot be said... The same cannot be said for the coward <laughs> that deleted the tweet. Saying that uh, Daenerys's dragon wings had to be shown in film classes. What an asshole! I know. What a dick. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> All right. Well, Greg, that leaves us only one thing to do, and that's to tease them with what we're watching next week. Yeah. So we've got another kind of horror movie <laughs> to sell you on. Uh, this one. This one's more existential, and uh, it speaks to uh, divides in in America. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know where else I'm going with this. Basically, you know it, you love it. John and I haven't seen it yet. It's Deliverance. Honestly, like going back to some of the original movies that we listed for this podcast, this was actually one of the ones at the top. I don't know why it's taking us so long to see this movie, but uh, maybe it's because it's not fun subject matter, I suppose. Yeah, I, I really don't want to see you guys getting attacked downriver um, <laughs> by inbred hillbillies. Um, I, th- I think it's because we are a bit more, I guess, educated is maybe the word, but it, like nuanced. Like this, this seems like a very st- stereotypical portrayal. And yes, people know about the banjo and the sodomy and all that, all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not really a, a subject matter that I'm eager to get to. No, well, I mean, yeah. But again, it's it's heralded as a classic, so our eyeballs must meet it. Yes, it's an introduction to filmmaker John Borman, um, who's had a long and varied career. So, who is John Borman? Uh, <laughs> this, I guess, this is another one for film cultists. Oh, but okay. um, he's he did he he made his bones on thrillers like Deliverance. Uh, went off a creative deep end with, um, I believe, Zardoz and The Exorcist Two: uh, The Heretic. Excuse me, he did Zardoz. <laughs> Yes. I've been looking forward to doing that one for the... Po- Why are we doing Deliverance first? Oh, I'm such a uh, fool. We okay. could have put Zardos on here. <laughs> okay, yes. So look forward to us watching Zardos next week. No, right. For those of you that don't know, Google two words, Zardos poster. <laughs> I I heard this secondhand, but uh, on a podcast, but they were talking about Zardos and how crazy it was. And there is actually yeah. a director's commentary version with our dvd with the director's commentary and <laughs> his front lines were uh i'm the director and i will be the first to admit it got away from me <laughs> so he gingerly puts it <laughs> yes i'm sure the same could be said of exorcist 2 the heritage yeah but we won't go there yet okay. yeah <laughs> all right well i think that does it for us so thank you everybody for listening and until next time bitch are you for real some folks say that Willie Green was the baddest motherfucker the world ever seen. But I want you to hold on to your seat and hold on to them tight. Because you now get ready to see the story of me. Yes, me, the badass. Don't look back.